0: This is Radio Influence. This is the place that the UFC and Bellator come to for the inside scoop of what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. The doors of the gym are opened up just for you. We are the MMA Insiders on Radio Influence. One of the biggest stories in all of MMA for the last year and a half has been about the UFC and their anti-doping policy with USADA. And this is going to be the subject on this week's episode of the MMA Insiders Podcast on Radio Influence. Of course, I am Jason Floyd. I am going to be joined by a man that I became aware of uh, not too long ago, just kept seeing his tweets come up my timeline. And I'll never say I'm the expert when it comes to anti-doping. I always try to to talk to people who, who clearly know much more information than I do, and that is Dave Marsden. Of course, So you can follow him on Twitter at D-I-M-S-P-A-C-E. You definitely want to follow him. We're going to get into everything about the UFC anti-doping policy, and of course, we'll talk Chris Cyborg, because that is obviously the hot topic when it comes to the UFC and USANA policy. Also talk about some other things. Talk about the Ian McCall being allowed to use an IV uh, when he was unable to fight at UFC two. But before I bring Dave in, I want to let you know about my sponsor, Fight TV. Fight is your number one source for MMA, boxing, and pro wrestling video. You want to download the Fight app today, where you can see events like the A.C.B. show coming up uh, on March 11th from Manchester, England. A free card right there on the Fight app. Just download the Fight app today, free by going to fight f i t e dot tv forward slash radio influence forward slash. Once again, that is fight f i t e. Dot TV forward slash radio influence forward slash and that link is available on radioinfluence.com. Now I know I haven't had a chance to do a lot of the insiders podcast. I'm always I always want to make sure I'm getting the right guest on here. I've I've seen the the reviews, you know, you mess maybe necessarily don't like the, the fighter aspect of it, but uh Dave is definitely a guy that I wanted to bring in. Dave, uh, I appreciate you coming on, on the podcast this week. And as I said, I I got to know of you based uh, you know, on your on your Twitter profile and, and seeing all the things you put out there. But first up, how did you get involved in basically monitoring what uh the UFC Usada program is?
1: Um, I mean my my background is cycling, as in sort of two wheels. Um both as a as a blogger and also as a I mean a competitor on a club level and obviously that's a sport that's I mean the 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 PED situation in cycling is well publicized over the last sort of 15-20 years um and my work has always been sort of presenting data um sort of taking information and putting it forward in in a sort of way the public can sort of digest and and understand Um, i've I've done things on lance armstrong on operation puerto a spanish doping case um and so this this was the real first opportunity to sort of track a program from the very beginning i mean wada's only been around since 2000 the wada code's only been around for about 10 years um so we've never really seen an anti-doping program where we've been able to track it from the very beginning of the program look at what what's happening as far as test numbers the the sort of strategy towards it
0: And we should note that if you want to see everything that Dave has put together, it is light at the end of the tunnel is dim.wordpress.com. I think that the spreadsheets that you have up there are, are phenomenal. That you have up there, a great way to look at it. And you know, it was back in, in July of twenty fifteen uh, when this policy did come about. When of course uh, the UFC, I guess it was, and Lorenzo Fertitta at that time basically said it, it was the Anderson Silva situation that ultimately woke them up and they brought it in there. And and of course, uh, I, I don't think many people would argue that this is likely the the toughest anti doping policy in sports. But as I always note, Dave, it's easy to be the toughest when it's not collectively bargained.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is, is something that the, the fighters have had to sort of get to grips with over the last couple of years is, is this has been sort of thrown on them. Um, and it, it's, it's been a sort of t- tough, tough, deal for them. Um, I mean, the other way of looking at it is if you want to be a professional sportsman, this is part of it. It
0: um, is, it, it is, and I
1: guess some people would say if
0: it is. It's definitely a part of it, but the thing, and my issue with the program from the start was the fact of, you know, the fighters did not have any say in it. I can't tell you how many fighters have told me either in interviews or privately of, you know, why are these guys knocking on my door at 6 a.m.? And then I go to my gym at 10 a.m. and they're there, you know, and and that's, and I remember it was, what, a couple months ago when Jake Ellenberger basically uh, had his gun in hand. When someone was was banging on the door at six a.m. and it happened to be a USADA representative, I mean that's, you know, I think USADA has done a great job of cleaning up the sport, but I also think that some of their tactics, I just, I just question so much.
1: Yeah, I mean, in 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 some ways, the the current generation of athletes are paying the price for what the athletes in the last twenty years have done. Um, I mean it is invasive. I mean, we're, we're, we're not just talking about being woken up at six o'clock. We're, we're, we're talking about having to provide a urine sample in front of somebody. And it's not just provide a urine sample in front of somebody. It's take your trousers down below your knees. You have to lift your shirt above your chest. You have to hold yourself in such a way that USADA representative can see that your fingers aren't interfering with the stream of urine. I mean, it's, it's fairly gynecological. Um, what, what the athletes are having to go through. Um, but unfortunately, they're paying the price for, we could say the last 10 or 20 years, but we could say the last 100 years of sport where people have been doping and, and effectively cheating for the last 100 years. And I mean, the, the the ones who get sort of not punished, but the ones who have to go through the most inconvenience through this now are the, are the clean athletes who have to go sort of through this process of very personal intimate situations with somebody they barely know um, so yeah I mean I've got a huge amount of sympathies for the fighters and what what they've had to go through over the last eighteen months um,
0: you know and I remember when this first came in and and right when it came in there were uh, a good amount of fighters that were not signing the USATO agreement because there was a, a, a lot of question marks, especially in terms of, you know, what happens if, uh, you know, your, your, uh, your drug sample gets tainted with, you know, or, or something along those lines. And, you know, eventually that stuff kind of, you know, corrected itself. And, and of course, most notably that, you know, the UFC announced changes. And, you know, as we're talking here, on, on Friday, February 24th, the the major story in, in terms of, of USAID and the UFC is Chris Cyborg. And one of the things I always say, and, and I think you've had to deal with this too, is the Chris Cyborg fans are probably the most passionate fighter fans there are out there. But I also, I look at Chris Cyborg and I hope she understands that There is going to be a certain percentage of the MMA fan or the sports fan or the UFC fan that is always going to view her as a PED user, no matter what happens. You know for the rest of her career, she's never going to change that perceptive of that fan. They're always going to consider her that on what happened at Strike force and then of course what happened uh, back in december uh, with with her situation there um I did have to laugh about her tweet the other day about fake news, which I took as you basically didn't like what people are writing about you essentially um, yeah but let's talk about the Chris Cyborg situation because it is the biggest thing. I remember when this news broke late last year, I think a lot of us were like, whoa. I mean, that was a huge blow to the UFC. Then, of course, it comes out that USADA gives her a retroactive TUE. In terms of the retroactive TUE, what's your thoughts on that?
1: I mean, the, the, the retro, granting her a TUE, I have no issues with at all. Um, if it had been done in advance, the, the retroactive TV, TUE is something I have more of an issue with. I mean, to qualify for a TUE, the basic criteria is that you have a documented medical condition, which she did have. That it's not performance enhancing in the quality quantities being used, which again applies to her. Um, <clears throat> there mustn't be a, a non-prohibited alternative. And again, we we know that she her, her team investigated all the various possibilities of what they could use. And the other criteria is that it mustn't be to correct something that's been caused by doping. So if you've got low testosterone because you've abused steroids, you can't take testosterone to correct that problem. And Obviously, none of these apply to Cyborg. And had she applied for TUE at the time, two months in advance, I'd have absolutely no problems at all in her being granted one. And of course, had she been granted one, it wouldn't be public. Um, This would have all been kept quiet from the media and she could have gone about her business. Um. The issue for me with the retroactive TUE is – WADA has a very specific criteria that it, if, you, if you're hospitalised, if you can't apply for a TUE at the time of administration, then you can apply for one afterwards. But it's got to be as soon as possible afterwards. Um, and, and this clearly wouldn't have applied to Chris. Um, but it turns out that USADA don't really have a retroactive TUE policy. Their policy for applying in advance – is the TUE criteria and that's the same whether you apply in advance, whether you apply a week later, whether you apply three months later or whether you apply after you're tested positive. Um, So uh, I've got a big issue there. My other issue is is when you're tested, you're presented with a form on which you you put your various details and then you have to list all medication that you've taken in the last seven days be it prescription medication or non-prescription medication supplements vitamins everything else and you have to declare all that at the time and she failed to declare and that's where i have an issue um is that it's only when she's tested positive she said hey yeah but um i took this thing that i forgot to tell you about and you saw i said well that's okay we'll, we'll we'll go with that and that's my real issue um I mean, I've I've no issues with her being granted the TUE, but I've got a bit of an issue with the process in the fact that you, you don't have to tell USADA. You can wait till you test positive, and then you can say, hey, but I took this.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I'm glad you brought up that point because that, that was something I definitely wanted to bring up. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, she didn't disclose it. And I, I sit back and, and I go... Why would I mean, maybe it should have only be a six month penalty for, for not disclosing it, but you have to think when you don't disclose something you're on when you're supposed to, there's got to be some penalty,
1: right? Yeah, I mean, under Nevada, and then this is this is sort of ironic that under Nevada, there would be a penalty because, um, I mean, Eric McGracken on his blog brought this up the other day that under ne- Nevada, it's considered perjury. If you don't accurately fill in your anti your, your anti-doping form, I, I don't know if you, uh, I don't know
0: if you've ever had to listen.
1: Yeah, I don't know if you've ever had a little l- extreme.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know if you've ever listened to a Nevada call when it's a failed drug test. Uh, Pat Lunval, who used to be on the commission, she had a they would always bring up that it's, it's a medical questionnaire and they would always bring up certain things. And she would pull a line of, you know, do you do you understand and are able to read English? And it's, and I know a lot of people would, would kind of come down on her and, and obviously you re, you realize why they would come down on her, but basically it was her line of questioning basically to say that, Hey, you read this, you knew that you had to put everything down um, you know, on that, that, that questionnaire, you know, which, which brings me kind of one point about this is I remember when the UFC brought in USADA, I had someone very prominent um, tell me that they go, this is the thing you have to know, USADA, USADA works for promotions. They don't work for commissions. And it's interesting to see, kind of, as time has gone on, the commissions and USADA seem to kind of be coming together on everything. And I, I know that for a lot of people, they may not like the the length of suspensions that can come out with their USADA. Personally, I'm a fan of it because you you literally you have to have these long type suspensions to get people to to basically say they're not going to take performance enhancing drugs.
1: I mean, there has to be a deterrent. And I mean, we're still way behind World guidelines, which is four years. And I mean for four years as a as an as an athlete may miss, miss means you miss an Olympics but it also means you miss probably 40 or 50 track and field events um, as a baseball player you may miss 60 70 matches um, an MMA fighter being banned for a year they may, may only miss one fight um, so in in terms of sort of what they're missing out on um, I don't think two years is unfair. Um, and, and what USADA have shown is they're very willing to sort of be flexible on that. Um, I think the best case we've seen is somebody like George Sullivan, who, who took the deer antler. Um, and they, they took his ban back as far as they possibly could, all the way back to January. Um, shortened it as much as they possibly could. And he ended only sitting out for, what, four or five months. Um, of course, he went and tested positive. <laughs> while he was sitting out, which was which was the, 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 the sort of punchline. Um, but I mean, you and Ricardo Brew, the same situation. He he was on
0: suspension yeah. and and popped, and now he is. Uh, he's saying he's retired.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to assume these guys just thought they wouldn't be tested. Um, I know with a Brew, the test was like three or four days before Christmas. Um. So. I'm, I'm guessing you well. He wasn't expecting to be having Usada turn up in his oh. door on, on sort of a couple of days before Christmas. <laughs> well,
0: uh, it's like the Brock Lesnar situation, and, yeah, and I know I'm not I'm strange. not I'm not in the minority on this one. I'm, I'm definitely in the majority thought of this. The reason he said he's retired to the UFC is he, so he's not subject to Usada drug testing.
1: Yeah, I mean he 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 dropped out of the pool. I mean that was I I think his contract ended after that one fight. He dropped out of the pool. He's no intention of being tested, and he's he's no intention of returning.
0: Oh, I I know. I would not be surprised in six months, a year from now, that we may hear Brock wants to fight again.
1: We shall see. I I think. I mean, then he's going to have to serve six months with Usada. Um and that they, they will test him to high heaven.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a matter of how his pro wrestling career is probably going more than anything else, and, and is the UFC willing to throw out the, the kind of money out there? You know, you know, and Chris Cyborg, and, uh, you know, I, I always know with her fans, if you write anything that's not pro her, you're going to get about 50 angry tweets. And and I think you kind of went through this uh, with, with her situation, um And as I said, she's, she has to understand there's people she's never going to win over. But, you know, the TUE policy was something that prior to a couple weeks
1: ago, we really didn't know much about what jumped out to you about that TUE policy that got released. I mean, I think, I think on Cyborg generally, I think people misunderstand the difference between questioning policy and questioning USADA's approach and questioning the athlete. And they're, they're not sort of exclusive um, you 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 can you can raise questions about the whole process, and that doesn't mean you're sort of pointing a finger at the athlete. And I think that's the perfect case with Chris Cyborg. I think people aren't questioning did she deserve a TUE, um, because there's every argument she did deserve a TUE. But they're, they're they're questioning is the Usada protocol right? Should should we be granting retroactive TUES to people who don't declare medication? Um, and and that's that's where the hole has, has sort of been shown and this is this is what i mean most of the guys who are arguing this people like harry mccracken and ian kid on twitter are, are arguing that the there's there's that hole which means an athlete can take something that they know is banned and not declare it and hope they don't get tested and if they do get tested hope they don't test positive and if they do test positive then they can fall back and say hey look i've got a doctor's note um,
0: yeah, and mention, mentioning Ian Kidd, he he got a, a statement from uh, Ryan Madden, who's USA communication manager, about uh, you know, the cyborg situation, about the uh, failing to disclose the banned substance until after the positive ses- test where uh, Madden said, quote, her use of the medication was not initially disclosed, but more importantly, once contacted by USADA, she immediately identified the medication as a source of her positive test, submitted all necessary medical information and demonstrated that it was being used for legitimate medical purposes without enhancing her performance. Those are the primary considerations when reviewing a TUE application. That was end of quote. Now, the problem I would say about that, though, is, and I think this goes to the tainted supplement defense, is if you know a supplement is tainted, but then you just play the, hey, I didn't know, how does another fighter down the road doesn't look at this quote from USADA and try to use it to their own advantage?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think... Well I think there's a key there's, there's, there's got a distinction between medication and supplements. Um I mean medication you can prove I'm trying to think of the word. Um, but you can you can prove where the medication come from. It's come from a doctor, it's it's FDA approved. Um and you, you can sort of prove the source of it as as whereas a tainted supplement, it's because it has got something there that shouldn't be. Um generally with the tainted supplements, I mean Tim Tim means we know he sort of provided his supplements on the day. As soon as he tested positive, he took photographs of everything. He sent it off to USADA, and it was one of those. With John Jones, we saw mm, sort of arm and arm for, for three or four weeks, and then eventually after a month, they kind of found what they thought might be responsible. Um, so, I mean, you, you can sort of see see which one is is being straight up and which one you think might be playing the system a little bit. Um, but I, th- I think with prescription medication, I mean, there is the argument that if, if they declare it, if, if you start to phone them up and say, hey, you've tested positive and, and the provider says, ah, crumbs, was it this? Um, Then, then they can go down, the, 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 go down that route. Um, and I think it's important to note with the, the TUE panel, um, they've got about 20 doctors across the whole of the US. And then the TUE panel is basically bringing two of these guys and they independently, even outside USADA, um, they sort of review all the forms and documentation and everything and then they submit their decision to USADA. So and even with the TUE panel, it's kind of it's outside of USADA's so, Travis Tigart doesn't have an input, Jeff Nowitzki doesn't have an input. Um so I, I can see I can see Ryan's argument um that she's satisfied the TUE criteria and it's not a problem. Um, I, th- I think my issue, as is, as I've said, would be that failing to disclose for me should be a, you, you don't disclose. You can't rely on it down the road.
0: You know, and, and you know, the question I, I think and I think a lot of fans questions about Cyborg and the failure to disclose is, well, if she was drug tested between the end of her fight, when she started taking this medication prior to December, then we're, are, are we talking about that she failed to disclose on multiple times?
1: Yeah. And I mean, the thing that's hurt Cyborg, I mean, there's, there's two things. Obviously, the fact she's tested positive before. I mean, you immediately lose the benefit of the doubt with fans. Um, and that's unfortunately the price you pay for the, for the first, for failing the first time. Um, the second problem was this, was this was kind of the first time she'd been surprised by USADA. All her previous tests had been in fight camp sort of two, three weeks before fights um, or on fight night. And this was this was the first time that she was that she would have been genuinely surprised to have been tested. And that sort of counted against her. I mean, that's partly my fault. I, I published that information a sort of while back and um, um, people 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 picked that one up and ran with it. Um, but those two things did sort of count against her. And then the final thing was that it played out so publicly. Um, if you look at, say, something like Josh Barnett, who has said nothing, he's, he's kept absolutely quiet on what's going on. USADA say nothing. And there's nothing in the media at all. I mean, people have completely ignored the case. Um, with Cyborg, Ray, her boyfriend or partner, was on sort of the underground the following day saying, this is what happened, this is what happened. And it's, it's all been played out in front of the media. And so, of course, people are going to have opinions. People are going to sort of choose sides. People are going to analyze everything that's said. Um, And we've ended up where we are.
0: Yeah, I mean, if I was a fighter's manager and they put themselves in the situation, I would much rather the fighter deal with it the way, say, Josh Barnett has dealt with it instead of the way Chris Cyborg has dealt with it. Yeah. You know, because I, I just, I mean, you know, you think about the John Jones situation. You know, and one of the things that we had we talked about prior to recording this was you know correlating how Chris's um, st- issue was handled with Usada as opposed to uh, say a John Jones or uh, you know, you mentioned about Tim Means uh, Yoel Romero is another case because yeah. you know because you know John Jones took on the arbitration and you know we got to read the document of their finding and, and basically they didn't they didn't believe him um, and because. The, the problem with the arbitration process is there's not a lot of fighters who can probably financially afford what John Jones did.
1: I mean, it, it depends on what you want to do. The the arbitration costs, the actual filing fee is about $2,000, um, which is refunded. If you win, you can get a waiver. If you can prove sort of financial hardship that you can't afford it. Um, you've then got a choice of between one and three arbitrators. Um, if you only have one arbitrator, UFC and USADA pay for it. If USADA requests three arbitrators, then UFC and USADA pay for it. If you request three arbitrators, then the costs are split between <coughs> the athletes, <coughs> the UFC and USADA. Um, but of course, you've also got lawyers fees on top of that. And, and for, unfortunately, this, this day and age, lawyers, lawyers aren't cheap. So I know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, especially people like howard jacobs um who who pretty much builds his builds his entire living on, on athletes testing positive so yeah i mean there, there is there's there's sort of that aspect but there's also that i mean the ones you mentioned where it's been played out publicly people know every single detail the ones where it's been quiet i mean does anybody can anybody remember what ricardo abro tested positive for the first time uh um, not off the
0: top of my head no i can't
1: yeah um, or sort of I'm just scanning through Augusto Montano hasn't been discussed. We don't know what's going on with that.
0: You know, and um, I, I think another thing to point up and, I, you know, I, I like the transparency in a way and especially as a, as a reporter that you like, you know, when a fighter is going through a situation. But I also feel like sometimes there can be a rush to, hey, let's put a statement out there. And because once a statement is put out there, even if they're even if the, the fire ends up being cleared down the road, there's always going to be people who are basically going to have that perception of that fighter.
1: Yeah. Um, but it's at the same time it's difficult if you're being accused. I mean you have had this statement coming out from the USA saying that the UFC saying this person's been suspended for testing positive, bloody bloody blah and you're sitting at home and everyone's looking at you and you want to defend your name if if it's a genuine case. And if you, if you genuinely think you're innocent and it's really hard to sort of sit back and say, okay, I'm not going to say anything. Um, and I, I, can, I can understand why Ray came out and said, hey, hang on a minute. She's, this was something she took as a medication, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah. I couldn't imagine being a fighter going through that and staying quiet. Now, one of the things I love about your website is, and, and we see this, especially with fans, they'll say, well, here's their post, Usada record, you know, and you know, I know it's one of your most recent spreadsheets. You just happen to have Johnny Hendricks who who had a fight up there, and you know, pre-Usada fourteen and three in the UFC, and then post-Usada zero and three. Of course, now one and three coming off that win. Uh, this past weekend at at Hector Lombard. Do you you find it that there's a lot of people who are, as much as they're interested in your content about how many times a fighter has has been tested, whether it's in competition or out of competition, they're almost as much interested of what their post-USADA record is?
1: I mean, that's honestly something I try to avoid discussing um, or drawing anything from. It's sort of, I put, it was... I didn't originally sort of intend that to be in the information that I put out, but people requested it. And and so I I started thinking, well, if I'm going to work it in, let's work it in now at the beginning while it's easy to do um, and maintain rather than in three years time thinking, hey, this would have been a great idea if I'd included it. Um, But actually paying attention to that data, I I think is dangerous because there's so many, I mean, with Johnny Hendricks, there's so many different factors. You've got to look at the opponent who he was fighting, exactly what happened in that, in those fights. You've, you've got to take in all those various factors before you can start saying, was this a USADA related thing? Um, and I, I do think that the post USADA fighter X has started becoming a thing, certainly on sort of forums and social media and Reddit and the like. Um, but I, I honestly think it's still too early. I mean, we're, we're 18 months into a, into a program. Um, and I, I think it's too early—not just on fighters' win-loss records, but on anything to be drawing real firm conclusions and say, look, hey, this is what the program has done. Look at, look at, look at what's happened to Jim X or, or fighter Y. I, I think it's too early.
0: In in your research and just your general thought, do you feel that you the with USADA coming in and the fact of what fighters. Uh, can no longer do in, in terms of cutting weight and, and, and rehydrating. That they have that the the USADA program has had a clear effect on fighters struggling to make weight or not even being able to make weight.
1: Um, I don't think the USADA program has. I think the 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 change of the weight cutting times has. Um, I mean, I looked back to sort of the USADA program and how many people failed weight after the program come in after the IV ban come in and it really was pretty minimal. I mean, I, th- I think from memory between the IV ban coming in and the new weight cutting regulations, there was only three people missed weight. That was in what, nine months. Um, since the new, since the new timings come in with the, with them weighing in on the morning, we've had, I think it's 20 now in the nine, 10 knots following it. So I'd, I don't think the sort of saw and IV ban, I to me, it doesn't look like it had much of an impact.
0: You know, I mean, personally, I think giving fires additional time to rehydrate's a good thing. But I've also talked to fires who have told me, "says, look, it's it can be an issue if you you know you're cutting a lot of weight on you know say the weigh-ins are on a Friday morning and that Thursday night that you know, maybe you you can't sleep, and that's where you've kind of heard you know, some of the, some of the issues that you do here. And, you know, as much of it is about making way, it's also rehydrating properly. And, and one of the things very well documented is the ban of IVs and anyone who has been, uh, especially as a reporter that is at an event covering it, you're around the way in and, and you're, you know, if you happen to be say at the fighter hotel, I mean, it, it was very common practice. You guys walk around the fighter hotel with, with IV bags. It wasn't, you know, um, wasn't something that was like odd when you saw he just it was kind of what it was. But a lot of noise was made over uh the last week when Ian McCall came out and made it known that he took an IV and of course the UFC ended up putting putting a statement out there uh you know about this situation in terms of the fact if he got a, a retroactive TUE. You know, he you know he talked about it on the Fight Companion podcast that he did with Joe Rogan and and any bravo what's your entire thoughts of that situation and and do you think there's a there's going to be an effect on on what happened with ian going forward for other ufc fighters
1: i mean the the ian problem or the Ian, the issue i didn't have a problem with um i mean if if we go back to the sort of medical need part of the TUE criteria um he was vomiting and that affected his ability to orally rehydrate because anything he took in on the way of liquid he, he was just vomiting back out again and so that from a medical standpoint certainly justifies having IV rehydration. Um, we've also got the fact that Jeff Nowitzki was present and the doctor was present um, so with the doctor there it was med- administered by a medical professional which also sort of satisfies USADA as far as a TUE application goes. Jeff being there, I'm assuming that Jeff made the call and then phoned up um, Travis Tiger or Ryan or whoever he needed to phone up and said, "Hey, can we do this?" Um, so, I mean, there's there's got to be a balance between sort of common sense and the athlete's health and adhering sort of by the letter of the law to the rules. Um, and then I think as well the fact that that he was never going to fight. I mean, I'm sure by the time they'd made that decision at half past one in the morning to administer an IV. I'm pretty sure that Jeff had already made the decision, look, you're not fighting tomorrow.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, and obviously the, the IV ban was a huge um, a huge story when, when it came out. And I know there was a lot of fighters who were basically, you know, they're like, man, I don't know how I'm going to make weight without the IV. Johnny Hendricks is, is one of those when he, you know, going down to 170. And, of course, that's the ma- primary reason why he's up at one hundred and eighty five pounds. But you mentioned earlier on in the podcast, you know, you, you come from cycling and seeing everything that happened there. And I remember, I believe it was Jeff Nowitzki. And when he was talking about the IV band, it may have been Travis who, who said this as well, too, that there was a, in the cycling world, there was a feeling and correct me if I'm wrong here, but there was a feeling in the cycling world that guys were using IVs as a way to mask anything that they may be on that was on the ban list.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's, he's right in that the, the main reason the IV ban is there, and it's, it's because of masking. Um, it can be used to either affect the gravity or the dilution of urine, um, which will obviously mess with tests. And it can also be used to manipulate blood values. So, for instance, if you're using a drug to increase the amount of red blood cells, <coughs> um, you would take an IV of plasma back in, to sort of balance out the concentration so you still had the more blood cells but you, you, you balanced out the concentration um and that's why the iv ban is there um but it, it was it's, it's been it's been used sort of consistently to mask i mean i can tell you stories of, of cyclists who they had you of banging on the door and they'd sort of quickly run and hide in the kitchen and they'd be hooking up an iv in the kitchen and drinking gallons of water um, to sort of give themselves forty-five minutes to flush as much as they possibly could before they answer the door to the testers. Um, Let me ask
0: you this: You know, um, in baseball, obviously, we, we went through the PED era and, and the steroid era, and you know, one of, in terms of from the the drug aspect of it, Victor Conte became, um, you know, a, a face and a person we became very familiar with, and and now he is. I I don't know how you would describe him, but for you with, you know, how you follow all of this, what's your thoughts of Victor Conti and kind of how he is portraying himself now after being a guy that was giving banned substances to athletes?
1: Um, I think, I mean, I have the same sort of issue with him that the athletes have who tested positive in the past um, that they're always, they're never going to get the benefit of the doubtfully. And I think whatever Victor does, it's always going to be in the back of people's minds. What's this guy up to? Um, He's also, there's a little bit of bias with him sometimes because he was involved with VADA, a voluntary antidoping agency at the beginning. So some of his bias when he starts going on about carbon isotope ratio testing, um, it needs to be done all the time, isn't totally accurate or, or certainly USADA would disagree with that. But his opinions sort of tie in more with VADA's policy um that said to be in there sort of right in the core of it you develop an understanding for what's going on um and so certainly he, he has to be listened to when he's sort of saying that this this athlete's doing this or there's things we don't know about this is what they need to be working on um because he's, he's been in there and he's lived it
0: you mentioned about the the concerns you have with the cyborg situation in terms of her failure not to disclose. Are there any issues and other concerns you have with with the way the policy is written right now?
1: That's one issue. I mean, on on the whole, I think it's 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 getting there. I I think the so the sort of biggest problem I think was communication. Um. Everyone, I mean, everyone outside of Usada, so the the fighters, the press, even have all had to become experts over the last eighteen months. Mm -hmm. I mean, as as a media person, you didn't get into media to talk about doping. You got into media because you (laughs) loved MMA and you wanted to talk about MMA. Um, Well, I was in who was going to win the next fight.
0: Yeah, I was in. I was in media before I I started covering MMA. Um, You know, for me, it was one of those things. Of I reali I I realized early on in my MA career because I came I come from a terrestrial radio background and you know my first program director it's advice I use to this day where he said you have to separate yourself and you have to do things. That are going to get you noticed. I think you have done a, a great job of that in the MMA community with, with your reporting on, on USADA. And, you know, when I first got in MMA, I, I said, you know what? I'm going to really concentrate on Bellator because th- there wasn't a, a lot of coverage out there. And, you know, one of the things I noticed with Bellator was there, there wasn't a lot of coverage on drug testing. And, you know, I, I, I learned a lot by just talking to executive directors and and what kind of the process does go on in, in terms of, of drug testing, you know, because it's, you know, as I've always said, I, I try to, to learn the best I can, you know, in terms of, you know, I, I know we're uh, we're a, a pretty impatient society. You know, we, we want the answers right now, you know, and drug testing with commissions, you know, typically unless they expedite the results. Which is obviously another, another topic conversation with USADA is, you know, most of them will tell you, you know, depending on, you know, kind of where the lab is, it can be anywhere from 10 to 14 business days. Now it can, it can come back quicker if the lab's not busy or if you expedite it. Um, which I, I think that's one of the, the ultimate question marks with USADA. And I think they they've learned their lesson from it i mean you just i mean you think back to u f c two hundred for instance from last year you know if if you expedited the results for John jones and Brock lesnar they wouldn't the u f c would not have been put in the situation they were put in during fight week and and particularly with John jones and then of course, after the fact with Brock Lesnar i mean I think that's the the one part about you 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 that really baffles me to a point because i feel like you know i'm not saying you have to expedite the results for every fire on the card but i i think if it's a title fight or you know so in the stature of brock lesnar i think you should be expediting all of those results
1: yeah i think i mean it's it is a fair point um my only sort of concerns are there's going to be a cutoff i mean you can expedite something that's collected a week before the fight or two weeks before the fight but then you start getting into the problem where you can't expedite something three days before the fight. Oh yeah, and we're, yeah. we're still going to get down the road. People are going to say, "Well, why wasn't this one that was taken ten minutes before they went into the cage?" Sort of. Um, th- there's going to be a cut off. Um, my greater concern with expediting is is the loss of anonymity, um, and which is something that's crucially important to the to doping process is the labs have no idea who samples belong to, and that would be my only slight concern is if they start expediting headliners then it loses some of that element the lab, the lab sort of are sitting there saying oh this is expedited so this is either so and so or so and so and that's that's my only slight concern um but of course i mean the the, the labs are, are sort of we have to trust them to to be honest and, and sort of fair but that, that would be my only slight concern yeah, I mean,
0: um, I mean, my understanding of kind of how that process works is basically there's just a, a very long number that is attached to yeah. a sample, so that the, the lab has no idea, you know, who, who's going in there, um, you know. No, I
1: mean, the lab know, they know the sport and they know the sex. Yeah. Um, and that's generally all they know. You know, it's, you know. I've, I've seen occasional lab reports from SNRTL to nevada where they've listed the weight class mm-hmm. which concerned me yeah. um but i don't know if that was just a sort of nevada issue
0: yeah i mean there there's there's definitely been some some issues with with various states in terms of you know things that get ultimately uh leaked out or you know certain things that have been there but you know and, and i think all these states are trying to you know we're all learning as we go on, you know, and, you know, the one thing you always hear is that, you know, the, the people that are putting, you know, uh, that are the chemists behind these PEDs, they're well ahead of the drug testing.
1: Yeah. I mean, so someone's always sort of, sort of one step ahead. I mean, if, if we go, if we go back to the IV situation, I mean, athletes would, would stick an IV bag to the wall of the hotel with duct tape. And so you sort of started looking for marks of duct tape. So they started hanging them from coat hangers instead, and I, I think that's a it's a great example of what whatever whatever the anti doping agencies do, the athletes are always going to be thinking how can I get sort of that one step ahead.
0: Oh no question, um, you know you know because and correct me if I'm wrong here you know because you know there's a lot of fans will say well how does you know if someone takes an IV and it's it's part of the sailing solution correct? Generally, yeah. That they can it tell whether
1: someone is. Old. As far as I know, um, the only way would be through the biological passport,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, which is where USADA, for every sample that USADA take, be it blood or urine, all of the key markers and all the key values are recorded, and they do that for every single sample. So over a period of time, they can, they can get a, a sort of idea of. Um, Everything's sort of physiologically about the athlete. And so if there's a sudden jump or if there's a sudden change, they can use that as a pointer to say something's sort of not right here. Um, So it should trigger the biological passport. Um, I mean, you hear talk of a test for plastics. um, And there was a plasticizer test being worked on years ago. Um, And what it did is it actually looked for DEHP, which is a softener that's used in plastic bags, um, IVs, etc., and, and the test would look for the presence of DEHP. The problem came that DEHP is also used in food packaging, it's used in cling film wrap, it's used in plastic bottles. So WADA eventually just pulled the funding for it because there was, there was too many question marks over the source. And... Um, so, unless they're working on something quietly and secretly that we don't know about um there isn't really a good way to test driver use apart from the biological passport
0: you know and, and you know and, and there's and some of that language that you're going to put out there some people may not necessarily understand, so you, you know and that's that's one of the things when I talk to some people on the regulatory side. I'm like you know you know and i and I've come to understand the those terminologies as well, but you one of the things that we kind of alluded to was the revisions in the program between you saw in the UFC, uh, we could call it the Angela Hill rule. Um, could yeah. call it the Brock Lesnar rule. And, uh, you know, obviously George St. Pierre's not going to kind of go through this because of, you know, with him coming back to the UFC.
1: Yeah. I mean, George has just about got in, in, in time. He's only got to do four months. Um, he's, he's, he's managed to return just before the new rules coming on April the first. Um, because he, he did enter the pool, but he withdrew again. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the new rules are a good example of where they've, they've sort of looked at issues and looked at their mistakes um, and corrected them. And virtually, I mean, every single new rule that's come out now, that's coming out on the 1st of April, you, you can pin down to a fighter.
0: Yeah, but it's ultimately as the program goes on, you're going to figure out what they what they have to do uh, that's best for them. And, you know, we got this question from uh, at Joe Daddy 85 saying, "Can you give USADA a grade so far? And can we really say USADA has been an impartial third party?" Um, you know, in terms of giving USADA a grade, um, that's that's tough for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's not that many things wrong. Um I mean you, you you talk about expediting um results. We we can look at things like the, the TUE issue. Um we can look at things like communication which has improved massively um over the last few months. They're really the only things wrong. I mean we, we can we can sort of say fighters being woken up at six o'clock in the morning and, and that invasion of privacy. That's more something that UFC need to sort out with the fighters. <clears throat> and maybe, maybe maybe we need to be compensating fighters for filling in their whereabouts and attending these these various education sessions. Um but I think that's the UFC issue. So there's there's not much that USADA is doing wrong. Um, but there's certainly things that can be done a little bit better, and we've we've seen a lot of these in the new rule changes. Um, I mean, I th- I, th- I think what I call the Josh Barnett rule, where prior violations, if if they've if they've tested positive under a local local commission, that now counts as a violation of USADA. I think that's a huge rule um, because that and that has an impact outside of the UFC. Um, a, fight, a fighter that tests positive fighting for a regional sort of a regional promoter now probably isn't going to get into the UFC because if they do, they're going to have to sit in the testing ball for six months before they can even fight. So unless you're a big name or you've got a big future, are, are you, are the UFC really going to sign you and then have you sitting there for six months.
0: I think it, people, I think have no, there's not much drug testing that goes on in regional MMA.
2: Now, well,
0: the, yeah, <laughs> no, like, like I live in the state of Florida. So, like, for instance, you know, we're recording this on on February 24th. I'm going to the RFC fights tonight. There is no title fights on the card. So when it comes to the Florida State boxing statues, they don't have to drug test anyone. The only time that they are legally obligated to drug test fighters is if it's a title fight. And there's a lot of people that, you know, because of, you know, and this is just the honest truth when it comes to, to regional shows. There's just not a lot of tax revenue that comes in for the state to where they can uh, afford to drug test multiple fighters on the card unless they, you know, um, you know, unless they have a good lab where it's not going to you know, cost them too much money. But most of the time where you hear where the only thing that's really getting tested for is recreational drugs, not, not PED. So, um, it's just, you you rare, you rarely hear on the regional scene of a positive drug test.
1: Yeah, I mean the only the only two that I can think of offhand are Invicta, Shuto um, in Brazil have stepped up over the last sort of year or so, um, and they've actually started using wider labs and, and using the Brazilian anti agency. But I think those two are probably sort of out on on their own as far as serious testing goes
0: yeah I mean I've said it if you if you started testing the regional scene I think you would find a lot of a lot of people would test positive um, you know and part of the problem is and I think it's it's part of changing the culture um, in in combative sports is you just can't go to your local nutrition shop and get a recommendation from whoever works there about, hey, you know, I'm looking to put on size or you know whatever it may be, and just expect that everything that's in that that's listed on that that bottle or you know whatever you may be buying is everything that's in that. And it's you know I was listening to an interview that Michael Bisping, uh did on on his radio show where he was basically saying that he's pretty careless in, in what he puts in, you know, what he takes. And I'm sitting there going. Michael, that's not exactly the the smart way to do it. When you know you're making the kind of money you're you're making, and you're at the tail end of your career because you know, I mean, Mike's I think 37 years old now. Um, but it, it truly does amaze me that how how much you know in the supplement industry is a it's an unregulated industry. But it, it truly does surprise me how many people would just take whatever they find nutrition shop. It's not like me going to a nutrition shop. I'm not getting drug tested. You know, so, but if you're a, you know, an athlete, you have to understand that. And I I use, I've talked about this story, um, you know, back when I was very early on in my media career, I I knew a football player and, um, you know, did a lot of supplements and he would tell people that he said, he goes, look, people will, will say whatever they want, but what, every time I go to a nutrition store and I buy a supplement, I bring it to the team trainer and I have the team trainer test it to make sure there's nothing banned in it. Now, obviously... MMA fighters, boxers, for the most part, they don't have that kind of money to have someone test something to make sure there's nothing banned in it.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's strange coming from Michael because he's actually sponsored by a supplement company who have their supplements independently tested to make sure they're not containing banned substances so that's, that's a really strange comment to come from michael i don't know he, he he needs to talk to his pr guy about that one yeah
0: i mean uh, I, I think it, you know and, and if you're going to put a supplement in your body and you're not getting it tested you have to understand that you're take, taking a risk
1: yeah i mean there's a there's a group called informed choice who do third-party testing of supplements um and this is something i mean tim tim means i know as as been using them and going through and and just buying supplements that are on their list now, um, and yeah, Bisping's actually sponsored by a company who have a lot of their supplements independently tested, and they all carry this informed choice mark to say these have been tested and are free of Peds.
0: Well, don't I don't I recall the the company that John Jones um, is it, you know endorses they they do a similar thing.
1: Um, I don't I don't think they're part of informed choice, but they certainly sort of they 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 test their products and that they, they, they were confident. Sort of saying. I mean, they're a reputable company, and they were saying, "Look, this doesn't happen." Um, And I mean, if if we look at the positives we've had so far, I mean, Yo Romero was using a a fairly unknown brand, um, and it was marketing itself as a as a a herbal diuretic, um, which kind of has a few warning flags. Tim Means was using a product called, um, as far as we know, it's called HGHX which, again, pro- said it, that it promoted your, your sort of growth hormone levels, which, again, is a, is a bit of a red flag. Um, the two Russians, uh, Magomedov and Turgukov, um, <clears throat> it's been recently in, in the media that they tested positive for Osterine, um, and they, they were both using a testosterone booster. Um, and USADA maintain a list of supplements that they've batch tested recently, and... Um, and there's a supplement on there called Testo Shred, which has been found to be contaminated with Osterine. Um, so it, it's there, there's a sort of pattern of which supplements are a problem. Um, and I, I think I don't know if you sort of underestimated the the supplement issue in MMA. Um, maybe it needed the program delaying a bit longer to really get the information out there um, because, with most sports, I mean, you're looking at pre workouts, electrolytes, energy bars, nothing that's really going to set off big flags. But with MMA, we're looking at these um, growth hormone promoters, things that promote your testosterone, and, and they're the supplements that are, that are causing the problems.
0: You know, and I'll tell you one of the things I love that happened this was very early on in, in the, the UFC USADA policies where Jeff Nowitzki. Uh, and you saw that they went around to all the major gyms and, and they sat there and they talked to fighters and they just didn't talk to the, the UFC fighters. A- anybody that was, you know, I'd heard the story when he went down to American Top Team in Coconut Creek where, uh you know, there were fighters that they're said, hey, even if you're not a, U- a UFC fighter, you're more than welcome to sit in and, and hear this information. And my understanding is that pretty much every fighter did take advantage of that to, to listen to what they said. And, you know, Jeff Nowitzki is the guy that, you know, you're, you're supposed to. Uh, you know, go to with UFC, which I know when, when Jeff came in there, there were there were people who had concerns because they were like, is this guy trying to catch the cheats or is he actually trying to help us?
1: I mean, that was definitely a concern. Yeah, I mean, I think a, a sort of misimpression people have of USADA is it's all about catching cheats. Um, I mean, the phrase anti-doping suggests that it's all about being anti-people who are doping. And I think this goes for anybody in the anti-doping community. It's not so much about catching cheats. It's about education. Um, <clears throat> it's about giving information to the athletes, teaching them how to use how to use the right sort of supplements in, in, their, in their diet without sort of conflicting with the policy, how to avoid pressure from coaches or teammates who, who are trying to get you to dope. And, and that's an awfully big part of, of what you to do. Um, <clears throat> do I think they could have spent a little bit longer um in that initial process i think they probably could i mean they announced in what was it may or june that the program was starting on july the first and i was like that's crazy You, you can't do that in a month um they delayed it to october and i think they possibly could have delayed it even till january and sort of put in six months of real real heavy education on the fighters
0: Yeah, I mean, that that definitely is a big part of it, is sitting there in education. And you you mentioned about anti-doping, and this question came in from at MMA underscore nostalgia 47, saying that considering your profile says anti-doping, can you still enjoy things like Ryzen?
1: Yeah, I mean... I'll be honest. I don't watch rising, but that's not because of a, of a doping issue. It's because largely of a matchmaking issue. Um, some some of the matchups just simply just do not interest me. Um, I, I've got no interest in watching what's largely squash matches. Um, I think. I think as far as sport and PEDs go, I mean, if 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 you took the approach, I won't watch sport with PEDs, then just stop watching sport, um, because. It's a problem in every single sport. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge Liverpool fan. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a soccer fan. And I know that football is is dirty. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, any sport, I mean, 100 years ago, Tour de France cyclists were jumping on trains to skip stages. Um, in the 20s and 30s, fighters were taking heroin and cocaine um, to give them, themselves a bit of a boost. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, if, if, you, if you're going to say... I'm not watching sport with dopamine in it. Then just stop watching sport.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I mean, I'm one of these people that I wish there was more drug testing in the sport overall. But I also understand that to to really do it right, you have to be doing out of competition testing. You know, um, I think the the cliche that you hear a lot in combat sports when it comes to in competition testing is basically you have to be stupid to get caught on fight night in terms of if you are if you are knowingly using a substance that you know uh is a banned substance and uh you know and, and that was you know part of I know the the re, the revisions of the policy was kind of that in competition and out of competition but you know I mean you you look at you know a majority of the failed drug tests that we do see in the UFC is out of competition drug testing
1: yeah i mean that are pretty much the the some it, In the first sort of three, four months of the program, most of it was in competition. In the last year, something like 85% of the testing has been out of competition. Um, And as far as the positives go, there's only been, I'm trying to think, I mean, there was Lesnar. And I think that's about it. I think Adam Hunter tested positive just before his fights.
0: Yeah, it happened. Uh, I mean, what that was. George got,
1: Sullivan got withdrawn.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the question's got to be like on the Adam Hunter situation, and because that was going to be his UFC debut, and I, as our call, he got pulled on weigh-in day, as as I remember uh, back then. I, I think yeah. the the question's got to be is if you're a UFC fighter and you are coming in for your uh, for your UFC debut, should those results be expedited? you know, for your initial drug test?
1: I think probably. I think for new fighters. Um, but, I mean, what they've got in the new rules now is if you're coming in from outside, if, when, when you sign with the UFC, you do a sort of induction with USADA. And it's a, one of these inductions that Emil Meek sort of declared that he hadn't been totally on the straight and narrow over the previous year, and he was forced to do four months in the testing pool. Um, and they've made that official now. So if if you're coming into the UFC and you have taken something over the last year, you can declare it. If you then test positive, sort of straight away, it doesn't count as a violation. If 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 it's accepted that whatever you tested positive for, you took prior to signing the contract. Um, so, under the new rules, had Adam Hunter come in and said, "I've signed the UFC, but by the way, I took this 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 and this last week," he wouldn't he wouldn't have got a violation, he would, though, have been made to sit in the testing pool for six months. So they've sort of balanced it out.
0: It's it's interesting, and you kind of, we, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but in terms of, I, I remember when this policy came in, there was there was um, not really a public debate, I guess it was probably a, a private debate of, so USADA suspends Fighter A for whatever amount of time. Because USADA is not a a regulatory body. They're not, you know, they're not a part of the Association of Boxing Commission and Combative Sports. Would a commission honor that suspension? And, you know, that was definitely a question. But pretty much I I haven't heard anyone um, that has said they would not honor a suspension by, by USADA, which I was wondering. I mean, obviously, some guys have gone overseas and fought. Um, but uh, that was something that a lot of people wondered about. Would would a regulatory commission basically not uphold a USADA suspension?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think I wondered that, and I th- I think the ones I expected to cause a scene would be Nevada. I mean, that they always come across as the most militant of the, of the commission. Yeah,
0: I would I would I would uh, think it'd be a smaller state that would basically it would not would not honor it.
1: I think because because with, with
0: with Nevada's business relationship with the UFC, with the fact of the amount of events and big money um, that the UFC brings into the state of Nevada, I thought Nevada would always honor it, But I thought it might be a smaller state where you know maybe they would look the other way.
1: Yeah, I mean it's not been tested yet, has it? I think they've all been old suspensions. There was the one in Canada um, where the UFC worked with the Canadian body on the Hunter one. And I think the rest have all been primarily Nevada. Yeah,
0: yeah, um, there, yeah. There hasn't been a, a situation. One um,
1: Brazilian one. So I mean, we'll we'll see down the line.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, but guys know that they truly want to fight. Go fight in Russia. Go fight in Japan. Yeah. The, you know, I mean, Krocop is is an example of that. You know, go, you know, it, it, if guys want to fight overseas, they'll fight overseas. And, and sometimes there's more money overseas than there is for the United States. Of if a guy, you know, is looking at fighting on the regional scene or maybe going fighting in Russia, the money in Russia might be better.
1: But that's that's I'm just an answer.
0: <laughs> I mean, that, that that's just kind of the way it is. I mean, it's it's yeah. just, it's because of the way regional MMA is done because a there's not necessarily a lot of promotions that are making a ton of money. Um, I, I think, and I've said this countless times, I think people will be baffled by what the fighter pay is like on the regional scene. I, I think it's, it's like, the, you know, but ultimately and I say is look, I want to see fighters make the most money they can, but I also want to see promoters make money, you know, and you can't, you know, if, if, you, if the promoter's not making money, they can't overpay fighters, you know, and that, and that's just the way the business is. It's just the way the business is. Um, but uh you know, I mean look, yeah, I think overall, and this kind of going back to you know grading USADA, I, I would I would give them a fairly high grade. I mean, I think they're a B plus A minus type grade.
1: Yeah. I mean I've I've got them about a B plus. There's I, I don't think any anti doping program's ever gonna be an A. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I, just I, because of, of the nature of it, I don't I don't think I mean I'm I'm a sort of realist in that I'm pro clean sport and anti doping, but I'm I'm not kidding myself. We're never going to have clean sport.
0: Oh yeah, uh, totally. I mean, I I think you know, you know, the question Joe asked a little, I mentioned earlier a little earlier about you saw of being an impartial third party. I don't know if I, I can't really answer that question because I, I think the only people that can really answer that question would be someone inside the UFC.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the arguments made that because they're because they're receiving money from the UFC. Therefore, that sort of prevents them being impartial. Um, I guess the argument over that is, is, and I think it's the reason why the reason why USADA were chosen is because they are overseen by Wada, who have access to what they're doing every step of the way, um, from from the very sort of first point. Is everything is in a centralized computer system called Adams, um, and so USADA sit down at that system and they do the test planning and only USADA and WADA have ex- sort of access to that bit. Then they send out the DCOs and again WADA can see all of that. Then they the, it goes to the lab. The lab can put in the results and again WADA can see that. Um, WADA can then see the sort of results management process. So if USADA were to try and sort of cover up a positive test W- w- WADA are getting this message each day saying so-and-so's tested positive, so-and-so's tested positive, and they will follow up. They will make sure that USADA are, are sort of following up on, on these positives. So, I mean, that, that oversight by WADA is what we, we sort of have to rely on um, to maintain USADA's impartiality.
0: Um, well, I mean, and I think as we go forward, it, it's going to – I mean, look, USADA has had a, a an effect on – the MMA community. And I think it's a good effect because we were the, the sport was heading in a bad direction when it came to PED use and, you know, and you have to credit Lorenzo Fertitta, you know, you know, former owner of the UFC sitting there and saying, you know what, this is, we want to clean up the sport. This is going to cost us a lot of money. Um, But it's what's best for the sport. And you got to give him credit for that. I mean, I, I would never like the fact that this was not a collectively bargained agreement between the fighters, the promotion, and USADA. And you know who knows if we ever do get a a union or or an association. I think that uh, all of a sudden this this will probably be a collectively bargained agreement, and I
1: think it will change a lot. Yeah, I mean, I never actually saw it happen, and I was I was blown away when USADA came in. I found a post from. Couple of months before it all started, where somebody said to me, "What would be the best option for the UFC anti-doping?" And I, and I, I put in that post, bringing you harder. Um, but I was shocked. And I mean, when they when they wheeled out Jeff Nowitzki for somebody who's followed anti-doping, I mean, that was like the UFC signing Fedor or sort of Goldberg coming out of the Royal Rumble. Um, when when the UFC wheeled out Jeff Nowitzki, for most people involved in anti-doping, that was a sort of wow. This is this is serious.
0: Yeah, I mean, and you know, and I think it's it's great. I mean, I would love to see Bellator put in that type of program too, but I just don't think financially, um, it's something that they can really do at this point. But I I hope I hope that they they do they do that. I, I give them credit for bringing in Mike Mizzi to regulate their overseas events. Mike is very much pro testing. He tests probably more than any other commission out there, probably besides of Nevada and California, in terms of of the events that he does at the Mohegan um, for the Mohegan Tribe, or you know, a lot of times where he gets contracted out to do uh, events, maybe where there isn't a regulatory body. So uh, it's it's interesting to me to kind of see how all this does, uh, you know. Does go for, but you've got a great website. Let everyone know about your website, where they can uh, reach you if they ever have any questions uh, about anti-doping.
1: Um, I mean, the easiest way to get hold of me is Twitter, um, dim space, DimSpace, D-I-M-S-P-A-C-E, um, and from I mean, from there everything's linked. That's it's by far the easiest way to get hold of me. I can't even remember my WordPress blog address <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, uh,
1: because th- there's there's a misspelling in the title. Really? There's actually a, yeah. There's a misspelling in the address, and I didn't realize until I'd put up about half a dozen blogs, and I thought I'm just going to leave it.
0: Wow, that's crazy. That is crazy. But we'll, we'll put we'll, we'll put a, a Twitter. Li- bus
1: saw the easiest way.
0: <laughs> we'll uh, we'll put a link up to your website here on RadioInfluence.com, or the post of this show. Of course, you can always check out. The MMA Insiders podcast on Radio Influence, also available iTunes and Stitcher. If there's any guests that you want to hear on this podcast, please let me know. Always opened up uh, two suggestions. Was was working on another guest, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So if anybody you do want to hear uh, on this podcast, uh, definitely uh, hit me up. Of course, subscribe. Uh, rate interview this show on iTunes and Stitcher. Just search the MMA Insiders. And, of course, as you heard Dave said, follow him on Twitter at Dim Space. Also, you can follow me on Twitter. At Jason underscore Floyd. So that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the MMA Insiders podcast, which is exclusively available on RadioInfluence.com. This is the Crush Report with Jeff Cruchel. The Crush War on Sugar continues, and it's time we started to understand that a calorie is not a calorie. Here's Dr. Andouise Allen.
2: When I started glycemic Research Institute in 1983, it was just like, ooh, look at this. Hey, this determines how food's going to act in the human body. This is interesting. And then we fast forward to 2017 and all of the new clinical data out there, massive data by Harvard, by Yale, by Princeton, by NIH, massive amounts of money being spent to go, hey, wait a minute, we were wrong. From the time that man has been on this earth until like the last couple of years, it's been calories, right? Now we have to realize it's not the energy content of food, which is calories, it's the effect that foods and beverages have on the brain and the hormones that regulate fat accumulation. That's the game. So now, wait a minute, the whole game just changed? Determining calories is physics, okay? But determining what makes us fat is biology and neurology. Those two things aren't connected obesity isn't even caused by a lack of willpower and all calories are not created equal. So now the the paradigm is why are we even talking about calories? Calories are close to irrelevant.
0: Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. If you're a serious athlete, a weekend warrior, parent, or coach, join us each week as we investigate the latest trends and research coming out of the sport performance world. We'll visit with top athletes, coaches, and sports scientists to keep you on the cutting edge and to find out what it truly takes to achieve human maximum performance. You can visit us online at CrushPerformance.com, and Crush Performance Radio with me, Jeff Grishel, can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and at Radio Influence.